So if you had an unlimited budget, which car would you buy? Definitely a Lamborghini Miura, a Mercedes 300SL Galwing, uh, which they're a couple of million almost each. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. This is my 100th episode. Imagine 100 episodes, that's a lot. And I have a very, very special guest today. I always say I have a special guest, but this one really is. My guest today is the person that I have traveled on most journeys with and on the most memorable journeys. It's my husband, Hector Dufexis. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Hector. Thank you for honoring me with this uh, 100th episode. I'm really uh, honored. So let's talk about you. And of course, we're going to talk about me as well, because <laughs> it's um, well. it, it, it compri- comprises both. You were born in Famagusta, which is now in the occupied area of Cyprus. There is a story that you are dying to tell me about your birth. I, I was born in Famagusta in, uh, in a clinic uh, well, uh, in, in uh, 1960. I'm not ashamed to say when. And of course, my mother really had a very hard time giving birth, or so I, 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 I have been told. And um, then I also have been told that my father, instead of being on her side, he was actually filming with his fantastic Super 8 millimeter camera, the filming of Exodus. Exodus was, uh, uh, well, it was a book by Leon Uris, and uh, they made a film with Paul Newman, and they were filming it near or outside the clinic or so, uh, I heard. So and he was out there uh, filming it. That was my father. Yes, as we know him, and we loved him. Yes. But he was sometimes a little peculiar. Let's say different. Very special. What beautiful. So, yeah, so he wasn't there because he was more busy with filming uh, the Exodus. But um, despite that, you turned into a cute little boy. Well, uh, you may say that. I remember, or no, I don't remember really. You remember up to a certain age. I mean, I see pictures now. Thank God we get from my aunt. I was dressed with a papillon and and, uh, all kinds of things. So I guess I was a privileged little boy. Maybe a little spoiled. You may say that. Do you remember your first flight? When when were you on a plane for the first time? I do not remember anything as far as details, but I do remember going to New York in 1964, obviously from the old Nicosia airport, I mean, that airport, again, there must be uh, pictures and archives. 
It was old Nissen huts, the round Nissen huts that the uh, British uh, had here. And uh, I, we may have flown by uh, Athens. Uh, I wish I, I had pictures then because the aircraft must have been ancient, uh, the Havilands or comets, uh, I don't know exactly. But yes, we went to New York because of my mother's uh, sisters and, and, and brother who were there. Um, uh, of course, unfortunately, I don't remember. I was forced. I don't remember really going around New York, but uh, it, was, it was an experience, of course, uh, for a young boy. So for those, for our listeners, what I also want to remind you of, I did a podcast episode with the last uh, captain who landed at the new Nicosia Airport, yeah, which fabulous. closed in 74 because of the invasion of the Turkish army. But just to remind everybody that uh, Nicosia Airport does not exist anymore. So far you were, you went to New York and then came back to Famagusta. You had a very nice childhood growing up. Sorry to interrupt, but I remember something now fondly. Well, fondly wasn't. I was, as you have said, perhaps uh, a, a spoiled little son, and uh, one day uh, my mother comes home with a little baby girl. And of course, for me, that was traumatic. It was my lovely sister, of course, but how could, my thinking then was, how could they do this to me? How could they do this to me without uh, telling me before? And I was four and a half or something. And I remember that uh, I think, I think it's very funny, actually. But uh, after that, we lived happily ever after with my sister. Well, how could they do this to you is a very victim, the, 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 uh, the um, attitude of a victim. So Well, the attitude of a boy who had his little toys and everything he wanted, and all of a sudden there's somebody else in the house. Who got all the attention. More or less. Yes, that happens to many little boys and it little does. girls. So I think it's just part of life. Yeah. So growing up in Famagusta, from what I hear and pictures that I see, Famagusta was a was the town in Cyprus at the time. It was a tourist town. It was blossoming. It was um, had beautiful beaches. And another thing that, another place that I always hear about and that you used to go to is Rizokarpas, so your mother's uh, parental home. We lost Famagusta in 74, because I was 14. I'll go back to that, maybe. It was lovely... For the older people, they had uh, they had nightclubs and lovely places. Yes, of course, a lot of tourism. But I mean, as far as we are concerned, and I at that age, we didn't really participate in that part of, of the city's culture. Our school was lovely. The, the elementary school, Ayos Ioannis, I. I Still, we still get together with a lot. That of is my, something uh, that impresses me. That at this age, you uh, guys still yes, get together. Um, but do you think that has something to do with the fact that it is Famagusta? That it is you are coming from a place that course, you cannot go back yes, to. Yes, of course. There's a bond, um, and we still try to 
get together on occasion and have a, a meal together and talk about the good old days and maybe some of the bad old days. But yes, we do that. Well, you mentioned Rizzo Garpa, so uh, my, uh, what was my mother's uh, ancestral home, uh, my, my grandfather was one of, one of the uh, first doctors in Cyprus, Dr. George Nikias. And uh, of course he died very young, uh, before I was born really. Um, and that, that house and, and the um, orchards and everything was something uh, magical for me because my mother would take us usually in the summer for quite a while and it was lovely I made friends um, there of course uh, in 73 this is another well maybe a funny incident on the way to Rizogarpas from August there was a terrible old road and um, she used to drive us with our beautiful BMW 1800 Neue Klasse, they were called. And um, because of my uh, grandmother, who was joining us, of course, on the trip, she would insist that they stop at uh, Panagia sorry, Eleusa, which is a nice little church just before Rizogarpas. And of course, they would go in, and, uh, and I would stay, of course, like I pretended I didn't want to go in the church, and I would drive the car around. I learned to drive by watching them when I was 13. And uh, my mother found out once, and she told me off, and I said, well, you know, it's good for the battery. You shouldn't let the car there sit around. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, we'll we'll come back to cars, because the fact that you actually remember the model of that car that you drove in uh, 1973 when you were 13 says a lot about uh, your relationship with cars. It was a very nice car. Unfortunately, it was lost as well. Yeah. Um, And the one thing that I want to also say, because I have heard it many times before, your um, grandfather, who was one of the first doctors, one thing that you used to see or that you remember in that house in the Rizzo Carpasso were glass um, was was like um, a little lap glasses he, because he did his own blood blood work. Yes, he, of course, in those days, um, the doctors they did everything, and, and they were mostly paid with uh, with food or chickens or, uh, as far as I was told, of course. But in that house, there was this beautiful room, and there was. Two things that I remember, again lost, is was the one of those ancient um, record players, phonographs, beautiful. I think they were called his master's voice. Mm. And there was this huge wooden kind of box, which when you opened the lid, inside there were all the um, glass test tubes ancient test tubes and things that he used. Uh, It was uh, fascinating. It's a fascinating place. Um, So that was 1973. Then 1974 came. Your sister and your mom were planning uh, to go to New York for the summer to visit the family. Yes, we... uh, it was a, a, an arranged uh, trip. I think some. I don't. I, I seem to forget dates for some reason. I should remember, but it was planned. 
And of course, we were again in Rizogarpa so for the summer. And uh, somehow, um, there were no phones, of course, uh, at least in the house there. We found out, radio or something, that there was a coup d'etat. So my mother decided that she should leave him immediately to go back to Famagusta. I guess she felt that we were a bit isolated because, you know, where uh, Rizogatas is on all the way in the north. Uh, the panhandle of uh, the uh, island. So, uh, again, we go get into the uh, BMW and we drive back and there was a couple of roadblocks, I remember, when my mother told them off. She said, um, whatever you call them, the people that did the coup, she said, what do you want from me? I'm going, I'm taking my children back home to Famagusta. So that was it. Uh, there was a decision. Uh, my father said, listen, uh, I think you should go ahead. That was the first uh, invasion, as they say. So Famagusta was not taken. They, they invaded Carina. So my father said, uh, listen, why don't you go ahead? And I mean, don't postpone the trip. And um, you know, when you all come back, you know, everything will be fine. And of course, the Nicosia airport was uh, taken, or it was under, um, it was fighting, so you, you could not fly. And uh, my father drove us to Limassol, believe it or not. We got on a boat to Piraeus. I don't remember the name. I should remember the name of the boat. And uh, we went to Piraeus, and then we went, we flew uh, to New York from Athens Airport, and we arrived, and of course it was lovely. And well, I was concerned, I guess, but maybe I had seen uh, Turkish aircraft bombing, flying. Uh, but, you know, going to New York was. Fascinating, see my cousins and, and everybody. And we stayed with my godmother. And of course, there were news and everything. And, and I, I'll, I'll never forget the phone call. I didn't speak, of course, but I, I could hear my mother when my father said, uh, I am in Nicosia with my mother. I left uh, the house, the Famagusta is gone. And that uh, hit me. Um, so, to cut a long story short, the trip had to uh, end. We couldn't, there was no point in, in coming back. So the decision was made that we stay and go to a school in New York. And we did, in a, uh, St. Demetrius School. It was a Greek school. I remember the horrible uh, uniforms <laughs> and the blazer. The color was burgundy. That that was traumatic. <laughs> but <laughs> so now, the invasion of Famagusta was traumatic, but the uniform was even more traumatic. A bit, yes, <laughs> but um, mind you, um, I could speak English. Maybe I was shy, but I had learned English when I was six. I had a private tutor again. Sorry, but. Uh, and uh, what really helped me was my, I would speak to my cousins in Greek, who were born there, of course, and they would always answer in English. And that did it. Uh, and of course, the school was okay. Uh, we learned a bit. And um, 
And a year, almost a year passed. And it was time, and my father had, um, because of the company, which moved from Famagusta to Limassol, he rented a house in, in Limassol. He came back. It was, it was summer. Don't remember what month, but... And you can imagine coming back and going to another city, a strange place, a strange house, not your house. And uh, then I walked down to this cafe that I had heard about, looking for friends, for old friends, for schoolmates. Um, there was no communication, I mean... No cell phones. Nothing. No WhatsApp. No. That is so, it's so weird. Nothing whatsoever. Into, thinking about this in today's world, when you can just, you know, send each other a message or create... A, oh, yeah. There was nothing. There nothing. was a house phone. You probably it was didn't. hearsay or, uh, I don't know, somebody said to somebody, you know, go and find this uh, schoolmate of yours who hangs out in this or whatever. So we met with a couple of old friends and... And then the other, well, I mean, I should not call it traumatic experience, schooling. I, I had uh, done um, two years of, of high school in Famagusta, one year in New York, and then I had to continue. So the decision was taken not by me to go to the English school in Nicosia. Another traumatic experience because of the Initially, sorry, I, I stayed in boarding school. Until they threw you out. No, they didn't really throw <laughs> us out. Uh, we decided with a good friend of mine that uh, we can't take this. So we made the biggest mistake ever. We took, call it passenger taxis, the ones, that the long Mercedes that took six passengers uh, back and forth to Nicosia every day, six in the morning departure. I remember, I hear the the horn of the Mercedes. <laughs> and um, we went at six, we arrived, and then we, we were back home at three. So we, we didn't really have a life, but, well, that was our decision, and... Uh, yeah, so it was a big, big change coming back, coming from Famagusta via New York back yeah. to Limassol yes. and going to school in Nicosia. So uh, no wonder sometimes you are a little weird because with all these uh, uh, yes, changes, mind, uh, your, your mind has been messed with been quite dis- a bit. disturbed a little bit, <laughs> but I am working on <laughs> it. So then you went to study in New York. We're going to have to speed this up a little bit because there is still a lot of memorable journeys to talk about. You went back to study in New York. You did did the bachelor's degree. I went to study in New York, although most of my friends a lot dared to go to Germany or England. And because of of my relatives, mostly, I I thought, and it was quite convenient, um, Yes, I did my bachelor's in human behavior and uh, at in at St. John's University in New York. And um, then I was offered a graduate assistantship to do a master's and MBA and and I was very unsure but Sitting on the beach one day, because when I got the letter that you're uh, congratulations you're accepted to the graduate school of business. I thought to myself, if I don't do this, 
I'm going to regret it. So I did. But I did it um, full time. Uh, it, it took me a year and a half. Again, back in New York. Uh, at the end of the, uh, of the, um, of the MBA, uh, they were recruiting and I, I was offered a job at Bank of America in San Francisco for quite good money. But then I thought, if I go to San Francisco, that's it. And I like to come back. I like Europe. I, I, and plus the company. So I, had, yeah, so I just get, came back and that was that. it. What do you think would have happened if you had gone to San Francisco? Don't know. Um, it's your parallel life, probably, that you don't know about. But let's talk about why you came back and, and uh, the company, Orphanides and Murat. What is Orphanides and Murat? Orphanides and Murat is, uh, well, originally started, was established in 1934 in Famagusta by um, Michael Orphanides and uh, Fritz Murat. In six, they became Lloyd's agents. Um, and uh, then evolved into various areas, shipping, insurance, travel, uh, assistance, medical assistance. And um, we're the third generation with my cousin Michael. And, I mean, we're still around, surviving. I've been working there for... All your life. Over 30, almost 35 years, believe it or not. And you have developed uh, medical assistance more yes. than anything else. And medical assistance is something that is actually quite fascinating that I have had guests on my podcast. I had Olivier Seiler, who, is, mm -hmm. uh, the, who, who was the medical director of Rega, which is an air ambulance company. Yeah. I had Dick Atkins, who is a lawyer in, uh, in, in uh, mm -hmm. Chicago, who is helping people get out of jail. Philadelphia. And all, Philadelphia, that's right. Sorry. And all these people we meet at mm -hmm. uh, conf or we met or we meet at the conference called ITIC, International Travel Insurance Company. So what conference. is medical? Yes. What uh, is medical assistance? Medical assistance is uh, is uh, part of uh, mostly travel insurance policies uh, and some health insurance, but mostly travel uh, insurance policies, which uh, also provide assistance uh, when you're traveling abroad. In case of illness or accident, uh, they cover your medical expenses, they arrange for your repatriation, uh, sometimes with a normal passenger seat or even an air ambulance, depending on the condition. And uh, it started actually quite by chance uh, many years ago. Um, and there was a dead body, one of the cruise ships we, we handled, and we were asked to do the repatriation. We had no clue, but um, we did it. And the assistance company in... Uh, I got they were in Southampton, I remember. They don't exist anymore. They uh, liked the way we handled this, so they said, you know, we have another case and then another case. And then when I started, I thought, this looks quite promising. And I started contacting companies and traveling and meeting companies, uh, mostly in England, Germany, France. And uh, we've come to a point where we have quite a... Uh, uh, high volumes, well, apart from the past two years. But uh, it's, it's a very interesting part of the business. It's, it, it's difficult in a way. You, you have to be alert and you have to 
help people in need mm-hmm. at any time of day. Yeah. But I think we're doing well. It's helping people in a very vulnerable moment when you Especially are... Especially when they're abroad. They, when they're abroad and sometimes they don't speak the language and... Uh, that and, as well. You know, there is a... You could tell a few stories about some of the Greek state hospitals because I hear <laughs> you complain once in a while. So it's a very interesting uh, part of business and it's the other side of traveling. I have been talking about it in other podcasts because it, it's always nice when everything goes well, but not always everything goes well. And that's when you guys come in and it's important. Important, yes. this cooperation between these mm. um, insurance companies and the local handling agent. Now, business is one thing, but there are other trips. Let's talk about our, some of our memorable journeys. Oh. I think one of our memorable journeys is driving. No, let's start differently. Maybe with driving the Range Rover from England yes, to that was, Cyprus. That, that was a very... Uh, a lovely experience, uh, if you recall. Okay, the idea was that you had to uh, sell your car, which was left-hand drive, so there was no point in... in uh, bringing it here from Switzerland. In bringing it here from Switzerland. And uh, somehow I I wanted a Range Rover, the classic Range Rover, of course. There were very few here then. Uh, so the whole deal was uh, fantastic. We, we bought it. Well, we flew to England, obviously. We met there. Yes, I came from Switzerland. You came from here. We are good old friend Nigel, who went to this uh, dealer. It was a Lister Jaguar dealer. It wasn't a Range Rover dealer, but it belonged to one of those guys there. And we looked at it. He had it on the, on the lift and everything looked good. So uh, we paid. We left the same day, if I recall, and we went to um, Dover. And I remember, I mean, funny, we went to Dover, we parked, and we went into the ticket office to get a ticket to Calais. And the person there said, uh, your registration? I said, oh, my goodness. So I had to go and look out the window and say, oh, it's H769PAJ. <laughs> and that was funny because... Because they thought that we had stolen that this. car. <laughs> yes. It was nice. I mean, you remember that we drove... With one CD, the car had a CD player, it was fantastic. And it was uh, Hotel California, that was it. It was the Eagles, it wasn't just Hotel California. Well, the Eagles, sorry. <laughs> and then uh, Switzerland, we turned it into a truck, more or less, with the seats back down and everything, filled up with all your precious belongings and... Here we are, and it's still outside in the driveway. Made our way to, actually, yes, uh, it's in the, taking space in our driveway. A little bit more precious to some of us than to others. So that's one thing, that was one journey, one fun journey, an interesting one. And another one that I want to remind you of was um, in 1995, we were kind of, we had been living together for a year and we thought it would be nice to have a family. It would be, um, you know, 
good idea to stick together and and uh, you know see see what happens. And I suddenly had this kind of panic attack, and I thought if I if I have killed kids, I won't be able to be a tour guide ever again. So I decided to go on a tour. I asked Kwoni, my old company, if I could go on a tour, and they gave me one, starting in Boston, ending in Toronto. It was a two weeks beautiful tour through Canada. But what happened during that time in somewhere around Montreal, I started feeling a bit yucky and I did a pregnancy test and I found our precious little girl, Natalie. But of course, you didn't know anything about that. We had arranged that you would come to Toronto and meet me there. And then we would, um, at the end of my tour that I was working on, we would fly to New York together. So what is your side of that story? I remember uh, it was quite a long trip. I flew Swissair. Swiss Air. Good old Swiss Air. Yes, to Zurich. Why did I... I stayed overnight with a friend of ours because of the... Probably no connection the same day. And and the flight was Zurich, Montreal, Toronto for some reason. Yes. And I remember you picking me up from the airport and we go up to the 100th floor. I don't remember. I mean, it was... It was the the Sheraton, Sheraton, Le Centre in... And I was exhausted and I, I, I... laid on the bed and you came up to me and said, I have to tell you something. And I said, <laughs> what? Well, I'm pregnant. And I, I couldn't really grasp it grasp it for a while. But yes. Eventually it, took, it was. It uh, took you quite a while to it grasp was, it. It was lovely. And um, it took, we went to New York. I wasn't really allowed to talk about it because we were, you were still <laughs> <Yes>. a little <laughs> shocked. But sooner or later, everybody found out that we were having yes, a was, child. Of nice. course, we weren't married, and it was uh, no, it was not no. a, a thing that you do. But um, anyway, we we eventually did get married, and Natalie yes. is a beautiful twenty six year old young lady now who uh, travels around a little bit like her mother. She seems to have taken some of my habits, yes. and um, that's all good. So that that was another trip. So then we had our. Beautiful boy, Alexi, was born a year and a half after Natalie. And then we started traveling with them when they were small. We, um, You know, I remember now, just to interrupt, when both were born in the same clinic, I would come, of course, with the Range Rover and pick you up. And for some reason, I wore a tie and a blazer (laughs) that I cannot understand ever. You wanted to make a good impression on your children. (laughs) I know that's a bit silly, but yeah, I remember that. So um, obviously we would take them to Switzerland. Those were like to take them to my home and introduce them to the family. Those were like regular trips on uh, good old Cyprus Airways. But we we also went on holidays to, to, I think the first one was to Crete. We went to Crete to Iraq, to uh, Hersonisos. <laughs> we stayed in this hotel, what's it called? And we also went to uh, Kerkira. That was it as far as the Greek islands. I yes, but think, another uh, thing that I, I I need to say here is that on those trips, we had a lot of fun. And of course, they used to make fun of me because of my Greek, even though my Greek is perfect. But sometimes I say something wrong and then I had three little people, two little people and my husband giggling about well, what I said. They did. But, I didn't. But another thing that you, you said, that tria trocha. <laughs> you always combined those holidays with a little work. Are you a work? Alcoholic, Hector? Maybe, but 
Well, I did a little bit, though. Yeah, well, uh, because of all the doctors and clinics. Well, and they, they would know that I was there somehow, so sometimes you couldn't avoid them, but it wasn't that bad, I think. No, no. So, yes, so our trips then were more or less going back to Switzerland, back and forth to Switzerland, no more Greece. I started traveling with the kids more than you did because uh, yes, you had you to work. Somebody had to earn money, which I went and spent. I'm sure that's what many people exactly. think, but that's okay. Yes, it's part of uh, being married, I think. <laughs> so, yes. But um, another thing uh, that is very important to you in your life and that uh, I want to touch is cars. And I think one of the trips that is worth mentioning is going to a classic rally. You and your friends all together have a few classic cars. Yes. And you participate in classic rallies. They were interrupted during COVID. Uh, we used to uh, do a lot of uh, racing. Um, it's coming back um, It's good fun. I mean, we even went to Greece twice and uh, took part in the international uh, historic. Yeah, the cars, sometimes they're a pain. Sometimes um, you enjoy them. Restoring a car uh, is no more in my books. I, I, I did too completely restored. I mean, uh, not in bold, as they say. But now it's just sort of, uh, what do the English say, mending them a bit. I am not keen anymore to take a car apart and rebuild it. But uh, it's fun We, as long as we enjoy them. When they break down and you don't know what to do or you don't find a mechanic who, who's, who wants to get involved, then it becomes a bit of a burden. But yes. But you had fun going to Greece to that rally. Oh, I think yeah. there was a couple of hotels that you stayed at, which were quite funny too. Oh, yes. It was a Morris Minor Traveler, believe it or not. Which you put on a ferry. Uh, yes, but we couldn't go as passengers, so we flew. Ah, I see. They, they didn't, I didn't have the passenger ferry then. Yeah. So if you had an unlimited budget, which car would you buy? Definitely a Lamborghini Miura, a mercedes 300 SL Galwing, uh, which there are a couple of million almost each. But that, yes. Those were, those would be the ones. Oh, yes. Um, the Miura is supposedly one of the most beautiful cars ever made, it is said. So cars are an important part of what you do and you work a lot. What else do you do? Spend time with your friends. Where would you like to travel to if you could? Is there a place that you sometimes think that you should have gone to you never did? That's a very difficult question. Um, I'm not going to say a monastery or something like that. Somewhere, oh my God. somewhere <laughs> fascinating, somewhere like, I mean, Peru would be fantastic, but it's a long ride and I don't, I don't think I would uh, do it. Of course, there are so many things that one could talk about. So many memorable, most memorable journeys, so much stuff that we have done together. It's a long, we've, we're both 62. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, we've had a good ride and it's a, we've had a good time and we hopefully have Definitely. many, many more good trips. Is there something that I should have mentioned? Is there something that I forgot, Hector, because we're coming to the end of this podcast? Already? Well, um, Talking about memorable journeys, since this is the uh, subject, 
When you got your award by the from the Greek police. Oh, Crete. In, in Crete. Yes. Uh, last year. Yes, in May. And we flew to uh, Iraklion. The airport is Nikos Kazantzakis, as you may know. One of your favorite writers. Oh, yes. And um, the award was fascinating. I was like the official photographer in a way for you. And uh, you were sitting next to the the chief of the Greek police, the general. Uh, your speech, when they invited you to speak, you said, uh, I'm going to speak in Greek. And people looked at you. Because they never expect this, I remember this blonde some, woman to no, speak Greek. No, I remember some, I was very proud of you, by the way. And uh, it was fantastic. And of course, we had a couple of days uh, free. We rented a car we like we do. We had lovely cars. We, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, we found, we discovered that the actual place where Zorba the Greek was filmed with... Anthony Quinn, the great Anthony Quinn. It was more or less 10, 15 minutes outside Hanya. And uh, we drove there. And we had a, a lunch appointment in Hanya, but we had we went earlier and we drove there. And it's called Stavros Beach, and it's fascinating. It was amazing. We actually went to the place where they filmed it, uh, where they were staying with Alan Bates in, in that little house. The house is still there. And uh, it was something very memorable. Uh, Avros Beach. And I think we both obviously went back and watched the movie again because of course, suddenly of course, we knew where it had been filmed. Michalis Kagoyanis, it's a fantastic film, you know. It uh, is. It and is. the actors, I actually was dragged by my friends in New York when I was studying to Broadway where the play was on, Zorba the Greek, and the same Anthony Quinn, Laila Gedrova, and Alan Bates. So and that... I'm actually reading now The Life and Times of Alexis Zorpa in Greek. Kazantzakis can write, I can tell you that. Amazing. So for those people who can read Greek, read Kazantzakis. You read a lot. That's another thing. Yes. That is another podcast episode because I think you have read every single book that exists on the Kennedys and the conspiracy. I and have what read every <laughs> single book on the Kennedy assassination, and I am very close to one that may give you some insight into who did it. <laughs> But I think they're, they are um, hiding everything to well, this day. As they are hiding or not hiding so many other things, conspiracies are conspiracies, many things that we will never know. But what we do know is that we are having a good time. We've had a good time. I want to mention something that I want to read. I haven't. But I, I want to read about the king. You know, the king has died. The, the Greek They king. say the ex-king. Yes. For me, I met him. Fascinating person, King Kostandinos. Uh, he died the other day, and his uh, funeral is in, on Monday in Athens. That's my next... Uh, Not your next project. To read about right. his life and okay. uh, times. So, thank you so much Was for my... taking the time. We are actually sitting in Hector's garage, which is where he spends a lot of time yes. off my back because then I have peace and uh, quiet. <laughs> it's nice in my garage. I have my heater and I enjoy it. Thank you uh, for the um, for the honor 
of uh, being your guest on your 100th podcast. Thank you so much. Good night and good luck. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.